Father, but tonight we just want to right now take in your word as we begin these songs of the ascents and Lord, special pilgrimage songs um, that the people would sing as they came to the house of the Lord. And I'm so thankful for we who are here at this house of the Lord. And I know that you desire to fill us with gladness and fill us with uh, right now joy as uh, we are here. And Lord, that we would be attentive and that we would just take in and be comforted and instructed and and Lord, that it would be uh, such a tremendous benefit and blessing for us being here and taking in your word. And I thank you for all the things that are taking place here at Calvary Chapel. But more than anything, our priority is to know you and to, to walk with you and to learn of you. And, and Lord, as we do, then we know ministry takes place, the different things that are taking place. I thank you for the love that's here. I thank you for the, this church family that you put together. And so, Lord, we desire to just want to honor you and to honor your word. And everything that we do here is pleasing to you. Pray that you bless the, the kids upstairs as they're uh, being fed the word of God uh, and the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and the kids in the children's ministry. And thank you for those who are watching the toddlers and the little ones. Um, Lord, that uh, this would be a place certainly that um, we can just uh, be about the things of the Lord pleasing to you. So we give you this time in the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are 15 psalms that are called the Songs of the Ascents, or if you have a King James, the Songs of Degrees. And these are psalms or songs that they would sing uh, during the time of pilgrimage as they went up to Jerusalem for the feast. And as we look at these 15 uh, psalms, they're generally short. Uh, four are written by David, one by Solomon, and then 10 are anonymous. So we're going to see that they're very much of a blessing as we look at these psalms beginning in Psalm 120. As we read in verse 1, In my distress I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. So what we see here is that the psalmist, going through this sh uh, short psalm, again, only seven verses, is seeking deliverance from the enemy. And it's the cry of someone who is among, amongst those who speak evil, who lie, where there's deception. And of course, that is a cry that we feel oftentimes as we're out in the world. We are... In the world, we're not of the world, but we have to go to work. We, um, you know, have to go to school. We uh, have to interact with those who are non-believers, and it can be difficult at times, isn't it? At the workplace, or in our neighborhoods, or at school, or maybe even amongst family members that are not believers. So here is the psalmist coming to Jerusalem. And, and as he begins this psalm, he says, In my distress, I cried out to you. And it's good to know that when we feel the weight of the world and the deception of the world and, and all of this, we can cry out to the Lord. And it's like the psalmist here, he wants to be delivered from lying and deceitful lips. It's almost like the psalmist is saying, I am so tired of what is around me that I want to go to Jerusalem. And I want to be with God's people. And, and I don't want to be around the deceit anymore. I need to go to the house of the Lord. And I pray that we really feel that as we come into this place, that I always want Calvary Chapel to be different than the world. Sometimes ministries will try to imitate the world in some way. I have no interest in doing that. 
I want this to be a place where we get away from the world, the, the deceit of the world, the, 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 the darkness of the world, and where there's light and love and truth that is here in this place. And I hope and pray that as you come, that it's like, oh, I, I know this is a good place for us to be. To get away from, you know, those kinds of things that can weigh on us. And it's so important that we have that place. And not that any of us, I pray, would come and say, oh, another Bible study, or we have to sing some songs, or it's a drudgery, or anything like that. But know that, Lord, I'm going to be in a place that's good for me to be. And so here the psalmist is saying that, verse 3, what shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue, sharp, sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. So again, the broom tree w- was used for firewood, and the psalmist is desiring for God to deal with those who have come against him. And then in verse 5, woe is me that I dwell in Meshach and that I dwell uh, among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So here is the psalmist he says something interesting. He says that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Uh, woe is me, I dwell in Meshech. And Meshech was clear up in the very northern part past Israel, up in that area of Lebanon and Syria, up in that area probably. And then Kedar was way down south, down in what is today Saudi Arabia. So the psalmist, he, he's, what is expressing here, I believe, that, that the people that speak against me are as bad as these Gentiles that don't know the Lord. Unbelievers, those who come against God, those who are against the things of God. And, and it was difficult, and it is difficult when there's slander or gossip or people come against us because we are Christians. And so the psalmist is saying that almost like they are as a far away from you, from the house of the Lord, you know, Meshach and, and Kadar, so far away from you, Lord. And that's the way I feel. And we see that we live in a society and we are living in an age where people are getting further and further away from the Lord, aren't they? It is getting more weird out there. It is getting more evil out there. It's getting darker out there. And we are going to be the subject of, of those coming against us. And we are going to be ones that we can feel that and, and feel the intensity of that. As verse 7, he says, I want peace, but they war against me. And I personally believe that it very well could get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And listen, I pray that there is revival. I pray that, that we can be a part of, of bringing revival here in this community in Weld County and, and revival comes to this nation. Certainly I pray for that. But I also see the direction in which the world is going and our nation is going is getting further away from the Lord and the things of God. And it could be much more difficult for us as the days and the weeks and the months pass on as we get closer to the return of the Lord to stand for righteousness without being persecuted and spoken against. And so it's important that we be here in the house of the Lord in this place where we can be refreshed and encouraged and blessed, right? And prayed for and, and encouraging one another. And that's what the psalmist desires. So he's pleading from relief from those who are coming against him in Psalm 120. Oh, it's a good place to come and, and be in the house of the Lord. And in Psalm 121 now, another song of a sense, that we read, I will lift up my eyes to the hill from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so here, 
Jerusalem, of course, where they would come up uh, to worship at the feast at the temple. Jerusalem is amongst the hills. There's uh, little mountains, little hills. Jerusalem is built upon uh, Mount Moriah as they would cut into the mountain and build Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed several times and rebuilt. But then you have the Mount of Olives to the east. You have Mount Zion to the south. You have Mount Scopus that's around. All these different hills that are mentioned in Scripture. And we see here that here are the pilgrims that are coming up to Jerusalem. And remember that it's always in that way. It's always up to Jerusalem. It's never down to Jerusalem. It's up to Jerusalem geographically because if you come from the west, you're coming from the Mediterranean Sea up to the hills of Jerusalem. If you come from the east, you're coming from the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on the face of the earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. And it's a short distance from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, only about 25 miles. And you climb from 1,300 feet below sea level to 2,500 feet above sea level. So it's a steep climb, and that's the way a lot of the pilgrims coming through the Jordan Valley there would climb up to Jerusalem, coming up, and, and they would see the hills there. The first thing you would see is the Mount of Olives, and then you would see Mount Moriah, and then Mount Zion. And, and, and the pilgrim, you can just picture him as, as he lifts his eyes to the hill, from whence comes my help? And then the psalmist answers it in, in verse 2, that my help comes from you, Lord. I kind of hear, as I know that many of you, particularly as it's going to be getting warmer and we take walks, and we're so blessed that we can see the Rocky Mountains and Rocky Mountain National Park, one of the most beautiful places in all the world. And, and I love just looking at the mountains, and, and we love the state that in which we live in. And I know sometimes just looking at those mountains, I think of this verse from Lord, you know, uh, I lift my eyes to the hills from which comes my help. And my help comes from you. And he is our help, first of all, the psalmist is telling us. And then verse 3, he will not allow your foot to be moved. And he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he is, who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And so not only is he our helper, but he's also our keeper. As verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. God is not asleep. Have you ever felt that way? The Lord, are you awake? Do you see what I'm going through? I need help. I need your guidance. I need your provision right now. And there can be those feelings or, you know, the mindset of, Lord, you're sleeping or you're distracted or you don't care about me. But he doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He cares about you. He cares everything about you, every area of your life. And he's watching you and he sees you and he hears you. So he's our help. He's our keeper. He's our strength. The Lord's eyes are upon you. And then as we continue in verse 5, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And so we see here that the psalmist not only telling us the Lord is our helper. Second of all, you can write he's our keeper, but also he is our protector. His presence is with us. And Jesus promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Isn't that good news? That I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And I know that the Lord is with us. He's with me. He's with you. 
and he desires to complete that work that he has begun in us. And he is our protector here. And it's kind of interesting that he says that the Lord is your shade. It literally has the meaning of protector at your right hand. Matter of fact, some of your translations, if you have a different one than the King James, it might read your protector. But the Lord is your shade at your right hand. And I was thinking about that because here it's given the image of that he's your protector of you know, your, your shade, in other words, at, at your right hand. And, and most um, soldiers, when they went to battle, when they're in the heat of battle, most of them were right-handed. So they had a sword in the right hand and you had a shield in the left hand. And your right side here was more vulnerable to attack, to the arrows coming at you. And we know that the enemy, Satan, he loves to throw those, those arrows at us, as Ephesians tells us. And it's like the Lord is saying, I got you covered. I got you covered. Uh, you're, I'm going to make sure that I protect even those areas where you are vulnerable to the darts of the enemy. And he is going to cover us. He's our protector. It's important, though, that we hide under the shadow of his wings, that we let him be our refuge and our high tower, that we place ourselves under him and walking in obedience and under his word. And he's a shade to us that we're putting on the whole armor of God as we do spiritual battle out there. So he's our helper. He's our keeper. He's our protector. And then as we read, and what is interesting before we get into verses seven and eight, that the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And the sun, of course, especially as we're up at elevations, we got to watch it, don't we? That we can get sunburned really easily. So it's important that we have sunscreen on, that we have hats on. And particularly as we get older, that we protect our skin because the sun can do a lot of damage. And of course, back in this time, people worked out in the fields. They worked all day and, and the sun would scorch them and they, uh, you know, can hurt your skin and, and all of this. So I can understand the sun shall not strike you by day, just the heat of the sun and, and the hotness of the sun. But what was interesting, nor the moon by night. And I thought, what does that mean? And I was doing a little reading on that and it was hard to find anything. But back in ancient times, it was believed that the moon, um, that even the, the moonlight, it was kind of spooky in a lot of ancient cultures. So I don't know if that's kind of a reference to that, but I can tell you that the Lord, he's our protector in those spooky times. And in those times where it's just kind of dark and it's spooky, the Lord is our protector. And we all go through times like that. And then the Lord will shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. And the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even um, forevermore. So the Lord, fourthly, uh, he preserves us all of our days and we are in the loving care of our Father. He cares for us every day in our situation. So he is our helper, as we read in Psalm 121. He's our keeper. He's our protector. And he preserves us. And it's a great psalm. As they were comforted by that, going up to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord. And then in Psalm 122, the song of the ascents this is the first one of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. 
You know, this is a, um, a song when we take a trips to Israel and we're getting ready to come into Jerusalem. You know, there's a song that sings this psalm and we play it. And it's just an exciting time. And it would be exciting as they're, they're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the house of the Lord. They're being with God's people. They're going to celebrate the feast. And, and it was an exciting time for the pilgrims to go. And, and here the psalmist David is saying, I was glad when they said to me, Liz, go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And again, that's what I pray for us as we come here to church, to Calvary Chapel. I do pray that it isn't a drudgery or a drag or mundane, but it would be exciting that we get to go to the house of the Lord. We get to be together. We get to be with God's people. It really is a privilege. And I hope that we understand that a lot of people don't have that privilege. They don't have the privilege of being a part of God's family. And, and they don't recognize that, that that's so important and such a wonderful blessing. So may we be glad when we say we're going to go to the house of the Lord and we're going to be together and we're going to celebrate the Lord and we're going to learn of the Lord. And there's a gladness and a joy that's in our heart. Amen. And I think that the Lord uh, has put that in us as we gather here, uh, that God's love is here and God's word is spoken and, and we can encourage each other. But also notice here this said that I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Invite somebody to the church. Because I know that some of you that are here, somebody did invite you. And you're glad because they said to me, let's go to church. And we have a number of people that have come and they heard the gospel and they got saved and they're growing in the word of God. And they are so thankful that somebody took the time to ask them to come to church. You know, there's a lot of things that we do to reach out to this community in media. We have the radio program. We have, you know, the web page. We have a podcast with people to listen to the teachings. We uh, have, you know, an app, you know, that you can download on your smartphones and, and uh, Calvary Chapel app. We have all these media things that we have, which is good. And we're going to use those things to reach out to others. And, and it's very effective. But... I don't think there's anything that can really substitute you personally asking somebody to come to church. And I hope that we don't lose that. I, I've read statistics that like 80% or over 80% of Christians have never invited somebody to go to church. That we would really pray about who I would ask to come. And maybe it's somebody that's not plugged in. It really is amazing how many Christians that I do talk to that I'll ask them, do you belong to a church? And, and I'll talk to them on Calvary Live and I'll say, well, not plugged in and well, kind of busy. And, and, and I encourage them, not because God will love them more or, you know, they're, they'll lose their salvation. None of that. But it's a place where there's going to be gladness and benefit and blessing that we can come together because we need each other, because it is getting more weird out there and, and deceitful out there. And it's a good place for us to be. So invite somebody, be in fellowship, encourage them to be a part of a church where they can be a part of, of a church family. So David here, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. 
And so in this psalm, what we see here is Jerusalem is God's holy city, is the place where, where God said, I've chosen Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel would come. And that's also going to be the place where Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so in verse 3, it kind of caught my eye that Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. When they had the feast during the temple times, the first temple and the second temple, that the city would just be packed out with pilgrims at the feast. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacle. And everybody was squeezed into the city. We're, we're talking about major you know, crowding and stuff. And, and here it's kind of mentioned, the city that's compact together. A little bit what it can be like on Sunday morning here in between services. Sometimes it gets pretty crowded out there and we're running into each other and trying to get through the hall. But just remember this, that it's a good thing, isn't it? And, and the Lord gets us through it and, and we get in and, you know, the young people are out there. And it can be a bit crowded in this building. But I'll tell you what, I'm thankful that we have this building. I'm thankful that we're able to have the three services and the people that, you know, are helping and, and are serving so that we can make sure that, that we are serving the kids and, and the people as they come in and that, uh, you know, have worship and we can have three identical services um, that yeah, we can, you know, accommodate the crowds. But in between the services, the 8 and 9.30 and the 9.30 and 11 o'clock, it gets compact out there and it gets pretty crowded. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. And that's what would happen to Jerusalem. So here he, he goes on talking about that the thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And then in verse 6, as we finish uh, here, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And so we see here that Jerusalem actually means peace. And it will be the place where the Prince of Peace is going to rule and reign. And people will ask me at times, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The psalmist said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has, as I've mentioned to you, been a place where it's been a place of great destruction and devastation. And we know that Babylon came in in 586 B.C. and destroyed Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. We know that the same thing happened in the second temple in 70 A.D., this time by the Romans. And it was a very tragic time. So Jerusalem has gone through great turmoil and and here the psalmist is saying, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But sometimes people will ask me, well, Pastor Jeff, isn't it going to be turmoil again in the future as we look at the prophecies? And it is. And there will be a time where peace is going to come to Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace, as I mentioned to you, is going to come and rule and, and reign from Jerusalem. And we actually, during the millennium reign, are going to come up, as Zechariah chapter 14 tells us, and we're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is uh, just a big celebration of God. God's provision for us, and, and the, the prophecies speak of that, but there is going to be great turmoil that's going to come first to Jerusalem. And you see Zechariah talks about that and, and Ezekiel, and we know that there's going to be great, great upheaval that will come to Jerusalem as Zechariah says that Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling to all the nations. And that's why we watch what's going on in Israel 
because God has made not only Israel, but Jerusalem, and not only Jerusalem, but the Temple Mount area as the epicenter, the focal point, uh, the, 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 the epicenter of all Bible prophecy. And you see, the nation of Israel, God has a plan for. And we know that God's going to fulfill Daniel's 70th week. There's still one more seven-year period that God's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel and bringing them to the point where they're going to recognize through the fire and through the turmoils, half the city, Zechariah chapter 14, falls into captivity. And as that final world war breaks out in the Valley of Megiddo, as the nations of the world surround Jerusalem, and it looks like it's about ready to, to go under, and, and the Jews are going to be wiped out. And we know that they have gone through heavy persecution up to that time. And, and from the Antichrist, and all this has taken place, and it looks like it's over. And as Joel chapter 2 tells us that they're going to call for a fast and they're going to seek the Lord. And then Paul writes, then in Romans chapter 11, that when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, then know that, that in part blindness has come to Israel till that time, but then the Lord is going to show up as they're seeking him, and somehow their eyes are going to be open, and in that day, all of Israel is going to be saved, as they're going to realize that Jesus was truly their Messiah, and there's the restoration of Israel being spoken of, and there's going to be, you know, Jesus coming back, and we're going to come back with him. All this is going on, and he will establish his throne there in Jerusalem, and will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So, we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we know difficult times are going to come. That is going to be the center of world turmoil, even as it is today. Seems like Israel, that little country the size of New Jersey, is in the headlines all the time. And the nations are going to turn against Israel, but God's going to protect her. So we watch it and we see the prophecies concerning Israel that God is going to fulfill in the last days. Listen. There is a theology, and I've spoken about it, that's really beginning to gain ground and being popular among evangelical churches. And that's the replacement theology. And that is God is through with his people Israel, and that the church is spiritual Israel, and that we're going to fulfill those promises. The thing is, God has a plan for Israel, and we know that in the Old Testament, he said, I will bring this to pass. And, and even in Acts chapter 1, they were looking for the restoration of Israel. And we know that God has a plan for them just as he has a plan for the church. And salvation comes to all who believe in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. But the day is going to come when they go through the fire and through the, the difficulties. And as they're going to be persecuted very heavily, that their eyes are going to be open. And we're going to see that they're going to recognize Jesus and call upon him. And God's going to restore them. So those promises are going to come to pass. So God has a plan for the church. He has a plan for, for Israel. And we're going to see it all come to pass. And it's fascinating to see the pieces of the puzzle coming together. How God is using Israel, coming back as a nation once again after 2,000 years. Never heard of, ever. In the history of mankind. Coming back not only from captivity once, but twice. In a 70-year captivity of Babylon, and then again after 2,000 years of being out of their homeland. No group of people have ever gone more than three or four generations of being out of their homeland and kept their national identity. 
The Jews were out for 2,000 years, and they kept their national identity, and they were heavily persecuted and brought back in, as Ezekiel 37 talks about the, the, bones, uh, the valley of dry bones, and the bones come together and made skeletons, and then they stood up, and then all of a sudden the skin and, and the, the, the muscles and everything came on those uh, skeletons, and they were dead corpse, and then God breathed on them, and they were alive. It speaks about a nation that was dead. It came alive. And Ezekiel 36, how the, the desert's going to bloom and what they've done to the land. All these prophecies we're seeing come to pass just as God said it would happen. An absolute miracle that they would come back into the land, their original homeland, after 2,000 years and become a nation. And that started the end time clock. That Jesus said that when you see the budding of the fig tree, the fig tree always represents the nation of Israel. Know that my coming is near. So we know that we're in the last days. It's the major sign as, as those who study end time prophecy, end time signs, the nation of Israel becoming a nation once again. But we see other things coming as well. We watch Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we're going to see these things come to pass exactly what the Bible said that it would. So here Jerusalem is God's holy city that's being spoken of. And, and, um, and then in Psalm 123, another song of ascents. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look in the hand of their masters, as the eyes of the maid to their hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. So here in, in Psalm 123, the servants would look to the masters and would make certain hand gestures, you know. But the servants um, would have to really pay attention, looking to the master, to the master. I lift my, up my eyes to you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters. You know, that was a sign of a good servant. A good servant understood the heart of the master, understood what needed to be done. And the master could just look at that servant, and that servant knew that he had a need or what was going on. And that made the mark of a good servant. He's just there. He's serving the master. Um, you know, he didn't yell or interrupt or to focus be on that servant. The servant was there to serve. And he was sensitive to knowing where to get the goods, how to serve the master, how to please the master. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because we're bond servants of Jesus Christ. And the way for us to be a good servant is to know him, to know our heavenly master and, and focus on him and look to him as he leads us. Just as the psalmist writes in Psalm 32, that I will guide you, God says, with my eye as I instruct you. You know, one of the guys in the back a lot of times that if I need something, I can just look at them. You know, I, I can't say, hey, Jerry, I need something. You know, can you? It's getting a little hot in here. I, I can just kind of look at him. And he knows that I'm hot and he'll go and check the temperature or John or, or, you know, Jim or somebody because they know me. And we've talked about these things and, and, and they're a blessing in that way. It's like us. We know what the master wants. We know what the Lord wants. But it takes knowing him and relationship, knowing the heart of him. You know, it reminds me of, 
of, we've talked about this, of David's mighty men. David's mighty men, they knew David. David was one that led, that he killed giants, and these guys went up against giants. And you know the story, as I've spoken about in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and 1 Chronicles chapter 11, uh, David had three main mighty men. He had a lot of mighty men. But his three main mighty men, Shammah and Eleazar and, and um, Adino, and these were guys that took on whole garrison of the Philistines and defeated them. And it tells that they became David's mighty men because David's there in the cave of Adullam. And it's hot and it's dusty and he's thirsty and he's thinking out loud, oh, how I wish that I could have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. David grew up in Bethlehem. And he's just saying, oh, how I wish that I could just have some water from that well that I grew up there and drank many times from, but he couldn't. Because the Philistines had surrounded, the enemy surrounded Bethlehem, and it was too dangerous. And he's thinking out loud, and all of a sudden, Adina, Shammah, Eleazar, these three guys, they hear David thinking out loud, and they take off, and they, they're gone. And I can just picture David's wondering, where did those guys go? You know, they're missing. And, and all of a sudden, the watchman yells at the end of the day, hey, there's three men approaching and they get closer, and all of a sudden it's Adino, and it's Eleazar, and it's Shama, and what are they doing? And I just picture them all, you know, bruised and bloodied, and their clothes tattered up, and all of a sudden they come, and from behind one of their backs there's a skin of water. David, for you, for you, David, for you, from the well of Bethlehem. And David was so overwhelmed that he poured it out on the ground. He said, far be it. These men risked their lives that I drink from this well. And he poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. And I think that of all the things and the gifts that were given to David, that was the most precious gift ever given to David, that these three men heard the heart of David. Oh, I wish I had a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And they risked their lives and they took on the Philistines and they got that water to bring it back to the king. David, who had already been anointed king, even though he wasn't sitting on the throne. Because they knew the heart of the king. And they became David's mighty men. Guys, listen. And it's for all of us. You want to be a mighty man for, for the Lord? And I believe the Lord is looking for mighty men. I think the great need in the church today is mighty men. He's looking for mighty men that know his heart. That are willing to serve him. And be dedicated to him. They're willing to die to self, pick up their cross, and really follow him. And guys, I pray that none of us that are here, that, that we're not men that are sloppy spiritually. They're just going through the motions, or indifferent, or so passive. It isn't really important, you know, if we get to church once in a while. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, got to get the kids dressed and get them here. And I'll just let the wife do it. And not important that we be praying together. And I'm tired. I'm wiped out. He's not looking for wimpy men. And I know that perhaps that may sting a little bit. He's looking for mighty men. 
the men that are going to be dedicated to him, and, and we need his help, all of us, me included. Because there are those times where I can get a little bit lazy or lethargic spiritually, but I want to know him, and that's the key to being a mighty man of God. For any of us to be mighty for the Lord is to know him and to know his heart and be dedicated to him. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. And as we read this psalm, as we continue, it's interesting. In verse 3, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. Many scholars believe that this psalm was written after the captivity of Babylon. They would come back. And it wasn't easy for them. And here's Nehemiah building a wall. And remember that it was the Tobias and the Sambalot that was coming against Nehemiah. And come down off the wall and we want to talk to you. And, and mocking them. And hey, this wall that you're building, if a fox walks on top of it, is going to fall down. And the people were discouraged. There's just so much rubble that's here left from the destruction of Babylon and it's hard and everybody's coming against us and this is a great work and Nehemiah would encourage them. Nehemiah would station the, the men in front of their homes, their families and they had a trial on one hand and a sword in the other and it was Nehemiah that would encourage them and say, listen, don't be afraid. Yes, the enemy's coming against us. Yes, there's discouraging us. Yes, it's a, it's a great work but God is great and awesome. And remember that. And you fight. You fight for your wives. You fight for your children. You fight for your brethren. And that's what they did. And they completed the wall in 52 days. God did an incredible work. And I believe he wants to do incredible work in each one of you guys in all of us. But you got to fight the good fight of the Spirit and realize that God is great and He is awesome and you fight. You fight for your kids because I'll tell you who else is fighting for them and that is the enemy. And you fight for your marriage and you fight for your brethren and you have a trial on one hand where I'm going to serve the Lord and wherever He has me and, and gifts He's given to me and opportunities that he's laid on my heart. And you have a sword in the other. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God that is guiding you. You be mighty men of God, but don't be passive, especially in the day in which we are living in. And you take care of your family spiritually. And you know the heart of the Lord. And each and every day you wake up, Lord, that you guide me and direct me. You know the mighty men of David? You know what their, their qualification was? When David's running from Saul, 400 men gathered around him that were in debt, discontent. That's their qualification, down and downcast. <laughs> and they became the mighty men of David. They were used mightily. And maybe you're here and you feel down and discontent and in debt spiritually and the Lord desires to take you and to work through you and in you to make you a mighty man of God but don't be passive not in the day in which we're living in you fight the good fight of the spirit and you stand fast in the Lord 
I love those exhortations of Paul that he gave to the church at Corinth. Many of you, you know, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He said, watch. You guys, watch. We'll be watching for the Lord. That's a command. Watch for the Lord that he comes at a time that you do not know. Be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. But also watch out for the enemy who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You watch. Don't become sleepy. Don't become lazy, apathetic. The Bible all throughout the New Testament tells us to watch. Stand fast in the faith, Paul says. Stand fast in the faith. And how do you stand fast in the faith? Speaking of standing fast, Shammah, one of David's mighty men, it tells us what he did as David said, I want you to guard this field of beans here. And he did. And all of a sudden somebody yells, the Philistines are coming and they all split. And there's Shammah standing there as the Philistines attack. And he said, okay, the king told me that I am to guard the beans, the lentils. So he took them on and he defeated the Philistines. It's like the Lord looked down and said, I like that. He's doing what the king told him to do. And as we say, Lord, I need the strength. I need the ability because you've told me, instructed me how to live. And the Lord's going to honor that. And he's going to strengthen you for that. So you watch, you stand fast in the faith and be brave. Be brave, guys. Be brave. If you have a King James, it literally says, quit you like men. There's only one other place that you see that, and that's in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when the children of Israel brought out the Ark of the Covenant. They weren't right with God. They were defeated by the Philistines. And all of a sudden, one of them says, hey, let's bring out the Ark of the Covenant. So they bring out the Ark of the Covenant. And the children of Israel, there's a great shout, and the Philistines heard it, and they said, oh, no. They brought God into their camp. God who defeated the Egyptians and drowned the Egyptians, we're in big trouble and they're sniveling and they're crying and they're whimpering. And one of them finally stood up and said, quit you like men and fight. So that's what the Philistines did. And the children of Israel, they weren't right with God. They said, let's go get it, the box, the Ark of the Covenant, and it will defeat the Philistines. So they had reduced God to an it. And the Philistines fought and they won and he took the Ark of the Covenant. And you have to read a few more chapters to see what happened after that to the Ark of the Covenant. Quit you like men. Stand up and fight. Quit your sniveling. Wipe your noses and let's go to battle. And guys, I think sometimes that It needs to be told to us we need to quit our complaining and our whimpering and wipe our noses and let's go to battle. Because it is a battle out there. And it is difficult out there. And the enemy wants to rip your head off. And he wants to destroy your marriage and your family. And we see it all around us and he's doing a great job of destroying families and relationships and blinding people's eyes. And we need to fight the good fight of the Spirit. Quit you like men, mighty men of God. So you watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and then be strong.
And as Joshua was told, as you know, to be strong of good courage. And then at the end of chapter 1 of Joshua, the people said, Joshua, we'll follow you. But we have one thing that we ask of you. And that is you be strong of good courage. You know, we need God's help in that. It takes a lot of courage to follow after the Lord, to know the heart of the Lord and have a desire to serve him and to walk with him and fight the good fight of the spirit. It takes a lot of courage. And God desires to give you that courage and for you to be strong because there are people in your life, your kids, your wife, your family, others that need you to be strong and good courage. They need us. They need us, and we need each other, that we can build each other up. Because there's times where we feel weak, right? And there's times where we're downcast. And there's times where we can get confused and we're, we're grieving or whatever it is. And we build each other up in that. So you watch and stand fast in the faith and be brave and be strong. And then the fifth exhortation is do all things. You do it with love. And what my prayer is for all of us here is that when we come to the end of our lives, that people will look at us and say they love God because it showed in their life and the way that they lived. It showed in how they treated their, their family, their spouse, their, their brothers and sisters in the Lord, that they love God. And the things that we do here is out of love for him and love for one another. And those are good exhortations for us to take so here, the master, knowing his heart, yielding to him. You know, there's so much out there to tell us how it is that you can be a super Christian and all of this. It's obedience to him and knowing the word of God and yielding to the spirit of God. And saying, Lord, help. It isn't, ooh, I'm going to be tough and eat glass and, you know, spit nails and all of this. It's, Lord, I need you. Lord, help me to know your heart to be the man or the woman that you called me to be. The father, the mother, the husband, the wife, the grandparent, the uncle, the aunt. Help me to be that godly school teacher or that worker out in the field or on the job site. Help me to be that godly man that you've called me to be, that godly woman. And he wants to do that in all of our lives. Do we really believe that? Because we know the master who loves us, who wants to enable us to be godly and walk in that godliness and strength. So a wonderful psalm here in the psalm of ascent, praying for relief from contempt again. Our soul, in verse 4, is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. It's not always easy to live for the Lord. Do you know that the Lord never promised us comfort? He does want commitment. I mean, he is going to bring comfort in a sense, comfort to our hearts. But sometimes as Christians, particularly in our society, we're more interested in comfort, you know, ease. Uh, you know, the, uh, that's emphasized, you know, so much in, in teaching today rather than real commitment. And having commitment means it's not always going to be easy, is it? It's not always going to be comfortable, and that's what the psalmist is saying, from relief from that contempt that others have, the contempt of the proud. Psalm 124, 
Another one of David. If it had been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. So here, uh, as the psalmist continues, verse 2, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. In other words, we don't know a specific event that led to this psalm, but those who rose up, as David is saying, if it hadn't been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say, for those who have been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up, verse 2, against us, it speaks of a sudden attack, an ambush. Doesn't that happen at times? Like the enemy, he doesn't advertise. He's not going to send you a text and say, tomorrow, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to attack you, okay? So I just want to give you a heads up. He doesn't do that. It's, he's going to come when you're not expecting it. And he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we all seen the wildlife shows where the lions crouch even behind the, the bush or the tall grass and just waiting for that prey to get close so he can pounce on it. That's the enemy. That's what he wants to do. And the enemy desires to pounce on us. The enemy rise up. That's what it means, rose up, ambush, and, and we weren't expecting it. He doesn't give us advance warnings when he attacks. And he's not going to quit attacking. Do you know that? He doesn't say, okay, I know I attacked you last month or last year, and I think I'll give you a break for a while. He's going to attack us every opportunity that he has to come against us. So David's talking about, you know, when man rose up against us and they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. And speaking about those, the world coming against us, those who will come against you and I as Christians. When the waters would have overwhelmed us, the stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone uh, over our soul. So here, um, as we look at this psalm, that the psalmist expressed being swallowed up. And sometimes the circumstances and trials feel like they were being swallowed up, doesn't it? Like water rising up over our heads. And here David has said, but the Lord's on our side. It would have happened. We would have been overwhelmed. would have been drowning in the circumstances if it wasn't for the Lord. And blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, the enemy, the world sets those traps out there. But the Lord gives us wisdom and light. Remember Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Satan is going to to try to trip us up and lay traps for us and put bait out there and, and entice us in every way that he can. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. We are blessed because we have God's word, right? That we can walk in wisdom and that we can learn of him. And we don't have to be deceived. And we don't have to walk in the darkness. And we don't have to, to be deceived and in falling into the traps of the world and, and the deception of the world and the snares of the world and of the enemy that are all out there every single day. And we can look at it and say, hey, that's a trap. I'm not going to go there. You know, that's just bait. That's going to take me away from the Lord. I, I, I know what God's word declares. You now, Sue is uh, reading a book that I've read, and I want to read it when she's done again. I've read it before. The Root of Righteousness by A.W. Tozer. And in that book, Sue was telling me that um, that what she read is Tozer was saying of his opinion is that one of the big problems in the church today is that Christians have a lack of discernment. 
my opinion is I, I agree. It's amazing what Christians will get wrapped up into and, and deceived by. It, it, I get emails all the time. Of what about this that's being taught? And I'm confused about this that's going on over here. And getting involved in the prosperity gospel. And, and all kinds of weird meditations. And kingdom now theologies that are growing. And all of this. People are being deceived by it. Because they don't have discernment. And the, the one thing about going through the scriptures. Chapter by chapter and verse by verse is this. It will help us to be wise. It will help us to know the whole counsel of God's word. And that's what we need. All of us need. And if you don't know the word of God, then you will get deceived in the day in which we're living in. We need to have discernment and we need to have wisdom. And I pray that that takes place because there's a lot of deception. The enemy, the enemy, Satan, he's a master counterfeiter. Do you know that? He even presents himself as an angel of light. And Paul said, no wonder, transforms his ministers into ministers of righteousness, but the end will be the end of destruction. They're false teachers and false apostles. Paul's talking about them, thinking that they're angels of light, presenting light, but it's a false light. He's a master counterfeiter. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. And we need to be wise. And the world is dark and deceptive out there, or we're going to get deceived. So we need to be ones that we can be wise. So we don't, you know, fall as prey to their teeth, escape the birds from the snare of the fowlers, and we have escaped because our escape is Jesus Christ who gives us the wisdom and everything that we need that pertains to godliness in Christ Jesus. So, Father, thank you. We thank you for this time going over these psalms. And I thank you that, um, that Lord, this song of a sense... Um, we learn so much from and this book Lord I thank you that that we have a hope in Jesus Christ who gave us his life for us going to that cross that we might have eternal life and everything that we've talked about here tonight and being wise and being strong and being brave and all these things Lord, we need your help. But it won't come unless we're committed to you and surrendered to you. And I pray if there's anybody that's here, maybe you're here tonight, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus at all. It's about relationship with God that only comes through Jesus Christ, relationship with him who died for you on that cross. To be born again, to have a new heart, a new beginning, to be forgiven of sin because sin has separated us from God. And that's why Jesus came to die for you. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone, putting your faith in him. He loves you so much he went to that cross because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death has come to us because of sin. But Jesus took care of the sin problem as the Son of God who lived a perfect life died for you and took the punishment for you on that cross. And he cried out, it is finished. He was saying, I've done the work. I've paid the price. And atonement, forgiveness is now available. He made atonement for our sins. He has redeemed you 
He rose again from the grave as he was put into a grave and he validated what he did on the cross. And the Bible is very clear that you are saved by faith alone in Jesus. He is your salvation. If you've never done that, that's where you begin by calling out to him and recognizing him as your salvation and need to be forgiven and as your Lord. Will you do that? He's inviting you to come be a part of the family of God, to have a relationship with him. And he says that, behold, I stand and knock at the door of your heart. And if you open up your heart to him, he will come in and fellowship with you. He'll forgive you. You can have a relationship with him. But you call out to him. And you pray, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. And I thank you for dying for me. Forgive me, and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. My life is not its own. I surrender to you. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. Help me to do that. And thank you for this new beginning. Thank you for saving me and hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, anybody tonight, when I get done with the service and we're dismissed, come up. I'm going to hang around up here. Just tell me the decision you made. or I want to bless you and just pray for you and encourage you. But why well, we just got a minute for all of us. That I think a theme tonight is living for Jesus. I pray that we would be mighty for him, not in our own strength and haughtiness, but in a humbleness before you, Lord, and a dependency for you to help us be the men, the husbands, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, brothers that you've called us to be. Men that are willing to fight the good fight of the Spirit and also for mighty women of God, dedicated, loving you. Help all the ladies be women of integrity and honesty and moms to be the mothers you call us to be, the wives, the grandmothers, the sisters, the aunts, whatever state we find ourselves in. Committed to you and living for you. Help us to fight the good fight of the Spirit, especially in the day in which we're living in because you're our keeper, you're our protector, you preserve us, you help us. And Lord, may we go out of this place just renewed in our hearts and in our desire to live for you and to know you, not to play games. We'll be glad when we come here, be glad when we're with the brethren and to serve you, to know your heart. That's our prayer. So I thank you for tonight. I pray that you take everyone home safely tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.